if you are a guest or a visitor this morning, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, it is uh, good to be back with y'all. Uh, being gone for two weeks was, was nice. We had a great vacation. It wasn't uh, always very restful, but it was very, very fun. <laughs> uh, we saw lots and lots of things and went to exotic places like Canada, and uh, uh, there are different kind of people up there, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, I'm Canadian if, uh, for our guests, so, um, but um, I'm not making fun of Canada, I'm making fun of myself. So, um, but it is great to be back. Um, it was wonderful to get to worship. When we, when we go on vacation, we always, uh, uh, we don't take vacation from church, right? Uh, so we, we go to worship in other places and with other saints, and, and it's wonderful to worship with other Christians from other traditions and other churches to be reminded that the Lord's kingdom is bigger than uh, just us. Um, as, as wonderful as the work that God is doing here, he's doing a great work in other places, and, and so it is good to be with God's people in other places. And yet, uh, even as we are away, it makes us long to be back with y'all uh, because we love you and, and missed you greatly. And so it is good, good to be back uh, with, uh, with the saints of CTK. So... Um, so welcome. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, two psalms, uh, Psalm 42 and 43. So if you have a Bible, turn uh, to Psalms 42 and 43. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chair in front of you, and you can find our passages on pages 46, 469 and 470. Now, um, the reason why we're taking two psalms at a time this morning uh, rather than one, we could have split them up. We could have very easily taken these, uh, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, as separate um, in separate sermons, one maybe this week and next. But, but the reason for joining them together is because um, most people actually think that Psalms 42 and 43 were one psalm at one point and that over time uh, they were divided. And there's a number of various reasons for why uh, theologians and uh, Old Testament scholars believe this. Some is that uh, Psalm 43 doesn't have a title to it. So uh, this is abnormal within the second book of the Psalms. So the Psalms are broken into five different books, and in the second book, mo most of the Psalms have titles. But Psalm 43 doesn't, and so many think that the title of Psalm 42 covers both of them. That's one reason. Another reason is that there's repeated words that show up in 42 and 43. There's the continuation of themes, but, but probably the most uh, convincing to me that they should be taken together is the repetition of a refrain. There's a refrain that shows up twice in Psalm 42, in the middle of the chapter, and then at the end, and then at the very end of Psalm 43. And so this repetition of this important refrain makes it clear that these two psalms are to be taken together. And so for our purposes this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to look at them as one whole. And so if you would, follow along as we read God's word. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my hope and my salvation, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Our Father, we echo the words of our psalm that you are our God and our salvation. And so we pray that these truths would, that you would impress them upon us this morning so that we would grow in our hope, that we would deepen our affections for you, and that we would desire to follow you, our God and our salvation. So, Father, do a great work, we pray, and allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to give you glory, to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this past summer, um, the, the Women's World Cup team was uh, catching the imagination of many uh, in our country. Right, the, the Women's uh, Soccer World Cup, if you're not a soccer fan, that's what I'm referring to. Uh, it's the World Cup, right? The women's team, and, and they, were, they were amazing. They destroyed the competition, right? They ran through pool play, and they defeated all the nations that came at them during the knockout stage, and, and they won. They were World Cup champions again. And as, as the country was fascinated by their play and was uh, watching games on TV and following them on social media, people who have no interest in soccer all of a sudden were watching the matches and the games. As we were watching them, it, it reminded me of another World Cup. It went back, I went back in my mind to a, a time in 2014 leading up to the World Cup in Brazil. This wasn't the Women's World Cup, this was the Men's World Cup. And, and in the lead up to that World Cup, there were many who were trying to stir the imaginations of our country as well, trying to create excitement around the men's team. Maybe this was going to be the year that they would finally break through. And as a way of trying to stir excitement, there was a commercial that would play. And, and the commercial had this song. It really was a chant. 
And as the chant would go, there would, there would be these pictures of the different players from the U.S. men's national team. They would be dribbling the ball down the field. They'd be scoring goals. There'd be red, white, and blue. Their faces filled with joy. And as you saw these pictures, you heard this refrain, we believe. We believe that we will win. Do y'all remember this? Does anyone else remember this? Man, it just like locked into my head. And as the commercial would go, it, it would start to build and it would start to get louder and louder. We believe. We believe that we will win. We believe that we will win. And you start belting, like I'm belting right now, that's what you start to do. Like it was like you were there, you know, and you'd start to get excited and you'd start to actually believe it. And I found myself just humming that around the office and, and I would say it quietly under my breath, we believe. We believe that we, you know, and it's, it's, you started to really believe it. Like, maybe we really could win. Maybe we could really win. Maybe this was going to be the year. You know, the, the, the world didn't think this was going to happen. The world didn't think the U.S. had any chance, right? That, that the U.S. wasn't strong enough. It wasn't fast enough. It, it wasn't skilled enough. But, but we believed. And I realized as I chanted that chant over and over again that, that that was a chant, not just a belief, it was a chant of hope. It was a chant of hope that, that though Brazil and Argentina and Germany, these soccer powerhouses, these countries with long traditions of excellence, though they were the favorites to win, this might be the year we had hope that maybe the U.S. would win. Hope. It's a really powerful word, Hope. Hope, it encapsulates our desires, our emotions, our expectations for the future. The theologian Cornelius Plantinga, he put it this way, he said, hope is the reach of our hearts for a cure. It's the reach of our hearts toward what we think will fulfill us, secure us, save us, and not just us, but also the whole world. And he's right. Hope is our hearts reaching for what we think will satisfy our deepest longings and our desires. And in that way, hope is not just a powerful word, it is a beautiful word, isn't it? I mean, it's beautiful to think that there is something that can satisfy our longings and our desires, and so we hope, but, but hope is also a dangerous word. Hope is a dangerous word because for every one of us who has ever hoped, and that is every one of us, we know that sometimes hopes are crashed and dismantled, and, and instead of finding fulfillment, we're sometimes left with disappointment. I mean, that chant, we believe that we will win. Do you remember what happened to the U.S. team that year? They barely made it out of pool play. And in the first round, the knockout stage, they were defeated. And all that hope and all that chanting, well, it turned out to be more wishful thinking. And we know what this is like. We know what it's like to have our hopes fall flat, right? And it's not in those instances when we've put our hope or our desires or our emotional energy into a team that we have nothing to do with and that we have really no investment in, but we know what it's like to have our hopes fall flat in our lives, our desires, our longings to, to not be met. And so we end up being more like the bumper sticker that says, I'm having a better time since I gave up all hope. <laughs> and maybe that's some of you here this morning. 
Maybe that resonates more with you than we believe that we will win. Now, I shouldn't have to hope. I, I shouldn't seek to hope because to hope is to put my heart at risk. Well, if that's you this morning, this psalm has something to say to you about that. Because in the midst of this lament, and that's what Psalms 42 and 43 are, they are laments. The psalmist is crying out. He is in danger. He is, 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 is being opposed by enemies. He, he is fretting and he is weighed down. In the midst of his lament, he hopes. You see, in these two psalms, the psalmist sings of hope. Three times he calls us to hope. In the repeated refrain, in the middle of 42, at the end of 42, and at the end of 43, in that repeated refrain, there is this imperative hope. Hope. That there is hope for those who are thirsting, and there is hope for those who have been abandoned, there is hope for those who are opposed, that if we are the people of God, we are a people of hope. A people of hope. Hope begins when we thirst. That we are to be a people of hope when we thirst. That's where the psalm begins in 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul. It's this intense picture the psalmist gives us, right? This intense picture of a dry land, of a, of a barren land. And, and maybe it's because of drought, but the deer is panting and is longing, not just for refreshing water, but for actually life-giving, life-sustaining water. Right, the image we have is that if, the, if the, the deer can't find these flowing streams, it will die of thirst. And the psalmist says that is his soul. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The psalmist is expressing what Augustine would later call the restlessness of our hearts or the restlessness of our souls. That our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And that's what the psalmist is expressing. His heart, his soul, it longs for rest. And in his restlessness, he searches to have his thirst assuaged. And every single one of us is doing that. We are thirsting and we are longing. You know, in the early 2000s, there was uh, a, um, a musician that that was one of the most popular musicians in the country, if not the world. Um, his name was John Mayer. Does anyone remember John Mayer? Okay, so like his, his career has kind of gone down a little bit since then, and he's kind of made a little bit of a mess of his life. But in the early 2000s, he was, I mean, he was so popular, and he was loved, and I actually got to see him play. I saw him play before he made it big. He was really popular on college campuses, and, and so I, I got his CD, and I ended up going to the small concert venue in Greenville, South Carolina, and there were about like 300 of us, and I could have walked up and touched him, and I got to see him, and, and it, it was an amazing concert, and, and a few short months after that, he was skyrocketing to the top of the charts, and he wasn't playing at 500-person concert venues. He was playing in front of tens of thousands of people. And he was making money hand over fist, and he was winning awards and Grammys and, and all sorts of things. And he was one of the most popular musicians, and he was being called as one of the greatest guitar players in the world. And then his second album came out, and it, it was to the same sort of avail. People were applauding him and speaking of how great a musician he was. And it was in the midst of this 
career, of his success, when he was at the height of his profession, that he sang this song. He said, I'm dizzy from the shopping malls. I searched for joy, but I bought it all. It doesn't help the hunger pains and the thirst I'd have to drown first to ever satiate. And then he lists all the things that he has in the song. You, you can go and listen to it. He lists all the things he has. He says, friends, check. Money, check. Well slept, check. Sex, check. Guitar, check. Microphone, check. Messages waiting for me when I come home, check. He had it all. Money, success, friends, people who wanted to be around him. He had it all. And the refrain of the song says this, something's missing and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing and I don't know what it is at all. It's a beautifully honest statement, isn't it? He had searched to have his thirst quenched and his hungers met and his longings satisfied, but he was still thirsting. And why? Why? Because ultimately our thirst can only be satisfied in God, in the living God. That's what the psalmist says in verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do you hear how he clarifies who this God is? Right? This would have been so important for Israel to have known as they are surrounded by other religions, as they are surrounded by people who are worshiping gods made out of stone and of wood. That, that our thirsts aren't satisfied by just any God, but by the living God. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New, that, that he is the one who satisfies us. Not gods made of human hands or gods made of human hearts. Because, friends, that's, that's probably where we're more in danger, right? Not of worshiping gods that we have created with our hands and we can sit on our mantles, but the gods that we have created in our hearts and that we hold on to and we cling to in our souls, right? Wealth and career, friendships and children, influence and education. But these are the fabricated gods of our hearts, and they simply will leave us panting. No, what we need to put our hope in is the living God. The living God. This is why the psalmist speaks to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. That we are to hope in God when we thirst, but we are also to hope in God when we're abandoned. In verse 6 of chapter 42, the psalmist says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Now, these locations, uh, Mount Mizar, we're actually not really sure where this is exactly. But these locations, they are very far from Jerusalem. We know that the land of the Jordan, Hermon, that these are places far from Israel. And so, so most people think that because of that, because he's invoking that, he's saying, this is where I am, that the psalmist is writing this while he's in exile. And we know that that was part of Israel's story, right? That they had been taken as slaves into foreign lands. And they were living far from Jerusalem, far from the center of the people of God. And in the midst of exile, it would have been easy for them to feel abandoned, wouldn't it? I mean, the psalmist says in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Now, that's an important question. Those words are important for us to think about. But before we think about those words, I want you to think about who it is that's saying them. The sons of Korah. These, are, these were the men who led the people of God in worship. That they, they were the professional holy people. That they were those who were in full-time vocational ministry. And, and even verse 4, the psalmist alludes to this. He said, I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping the festival. He led the people of God into worship. And now he's asking, why have you forgotten me? Now, it's important for us to think about that because I think often we think that it's only those who are young in their faith and only those who have little faith or only those who are immature in their faith who ever experience doubt. But this was one of the priests of Israel. This was the person who led the people into worship, and yet now he is doubting. He is questioning, why have you forgotten me? He's feeling abandoned and so he honestly expresses his emotions, and yet he is not ruled by his emotions. He is not constrained by his doubts. Instead, he seeks to reorient his emotions around what is true. I mean, do you feel the tension of the psalm? I, I don't know if you picked it up as you were reading through it, but it seems like he vacillates back and forth, doesn't he? These great statements of truth of who God is, and then he says these things like, you forgot me, where are you, what's going on? But then he says these great statements again, like verse 9. He says, to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? We for focus on the why have you forgotten me, but he just called God his rock. You see, he's wrestling with this. He knows what is true about who God is, that God is his God. He is his rock. He is his salvation. And yet, his experience in the world feels very, very different. And so he's holding this tension. He's wrestling with it. And this wrestling, as he wrestles with it, it, as he seeks to deal with it, he speaks the truth. And he speaks the truth to himself. Have you noticed that? Like, he keeps talking to himself. So the psalm is giving us permission to talk to ourselves. <laughs> like, and, and that's a good thing, because uh, we all talk to ourselves, right? Like, we talk to ourselves about our relationships, about the conversation we just had, about the conversation we're about to have, about the conversation that we're afraid to have, right? We talk to ourselves about our kids and about our parents and about our careers. We talk to ourselves all the time, right? And the psalmist is saying, that is okay. It is good for us to talk to ourselves. Like, we don't have to be afraid that we're the crazy person walking down the street mumbling under our breath. <laughs> We're supposed to speak to our souls and to our hearts. But we don't just say anything. Look what he says. The refrain again, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, the psalmist, he interrogates his soul and he challenges his understanding. Don't be cast down. Don't be in turmoil. Hope in God. And why can he say this when he feels abandoned? Because despite his feelings, because despite his thinking that God has abandoned him and his people, the truth is, is that he hasn't. You see, as those who live on this side of the cross, we can be sure that God has not abandoned us. 
And the reason we can be sure that he hasn't abandoned us, his people, is because God actually abandoned his son. I mean, it was on the cross when Christ took our sin upon himself and he experienced the wrath of God that for those moments, do you remember what he said? He quoted a psalm. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those few moments, as Jesus took our sin upon himself, he was abandoned, and he was abandoned so that we would not be. You see, friends, Christ didn't go to the cross, and he didn't take our sin upon himself, and he didn't take the wrath of God upon him in order that we would be abandoned. No. No, it's so that we would be found. So that we would dwell in God's presence for all time. I mean, Jesus himself said that no one can pluck us from the Father's hand. No one. That his grip on you is so tight that nothing in all of creation, nothing in this world can remove you from his grip. He doesn't abandon his people. He's near to us. And we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to speak to our souls just as the psalmist does. That though we may feel as though God has abandoned us, that, that we can actually have hope because he is not. He has not abandoned us, nor will he ever. We hope when we're thirsting. And we hope when we feel abandoned, but also we hope when we're opposed. Now, much of the psalmist's uh, consternation has come from within him, hasn't it? His soul is thirsting. His heart is doubting. But this struggle that he's experiencing, it's not just an internal struggle. He's also facing questions that are coming from outside of him. We see this in chapter 43, verse 1. There are ungodly people. There are deceitful men. There are those who are unjust and those opposing him. And in 42.10, he says, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Now, as the psalmist is in exile, it's easy to imagine that those who took him into exile would say these things, isn't it? I mean, these are the... These are warring nations, right? Assyrian, Babylon, and these places that, that took them off into these foreign lands. It'd be easy for them to look upon Israel and go, where's your God? Right? And they're not saying it with compassion. They're saying it taunting, right? They're taunting him. Where is your God now? This great God, this powerful one? Because to their eyes, it would have looked like he had been defeated, right? Right? Where's your God, they ask. And we've been asked that question too, haven't we? We get asked that question when disease fills our bodies, when injustice reigns, when shooters take innocent life. That's the question that's asked, isn't it? In those moments, where is God? In those moments, where is your God? And that question, that question is coming out of a longing for a world where sin doesn't reign and where brokenness is replaced with healing. It's coming out of a longing for that, but also a recognition that that day has not come. That our world is broken, that it does not function as it ought. 
that, that sin is still at work. And sadly, sometimes it feels as though sin is very, very, very strong. Right? It's easy to look at the world and to echo the words of that great hymn, Beams of Heaven. Harder yet may be the fight. Right may often yield to my wickedness a while may reign. Satan's cause may seem to gain. I mean, the last couple of weeks, it's kind of felt like that a little bit, hasn't it? Satan's cause is gaining. And we don't have to look it upon our world or upon our nation and see that we can feel it in our own lives, right? The difficulties, the struggles, the pains that we feel. I mean, when we're thirsting and when we're feeling abandoned, when we're feeling opposition, it can feel like Satan's cause is gaining and wickedness is reigning. Where is your God? So how does the psalmist respond to that question? Well, he says hope. That's where he goes. He says hope in God. Now, in saying this, the psalmist isn't being trite. And he's not skirting the issue. I mean, he himself is wrestling with this. In verse 2, he says, why have you rejected me? Now, the psalmist understands the pain that we feel in the world, but even in the midst of that pain, he says hope. And why? Because he believes that though he is opposed, his opposition does not have the final word. He believes that there will be vindication. That's why he can hope. Look at 43 verse 1. He says, vindicate me, O God. He hopes because he believes that ultimately God will defend him. He goes on, defend my cause against an ungodly people. He hopes because he trusts God will bring deliverance from deceitful and unjust men. Deliver me, he says. And so the psalmist answers the question, where is your God, with the belief that God has never left. That the wickedness may still be present, that God has never stopped ruling in this world, that God has been and always will be a refuge for his people. That is his hope, and that is our hope. That is our hope, hope that the salvation that Christ has won for us is ours forever. Where is God? He is in heaven. And he is reigning over this world. That is where he is. Yes, there is still sin and there is still wickedness and there is still evil. But there is a day when that evil will be no more. When God's claim, vengeance is mine, will come to fruition. When Jesus returns and he does away with sin and death and disease and murder. And we will see that the salvation that Christ has truly won on the cross is the salvation that we will know fully in his return. That is why we hope. That is why we hope. And when we hope in this way, what happens? The psalmist says, verses 3 and 4, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. When his hope turns to glad fruition... His lament will turn to praise. His longing will find satisfaction. His crying out will be replaced with joy. That is why we hope. You know, that hymn goes on. That hymn is a beautiful lament. 
And like any good lament, we do not lament for lament's sake. We lament so that we would hope. The hymn goes on. It says, harder yet may be the fight. Right may often yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign. And Satan's cause may seem to gain but. But there is a God. And he rules above with hand of power and heart of love. And if I'm right, he'll fight my battle, and I shall have peace someday. See, the hymn is expressing what our psalm is expressing. That there is hope in the midst of lament, that there is hope in our thirsting and in our feeling of abandon. And when we're opposed, there is hope because God is our God and our salvation. And so, people of God, do not be overcome with despair. People of God, do not be overwhelmed by evil. People of God, doubt no more, but hope. Amen. Our Father, we do thank you that we have good reason to hope. That our hope is not wishful thinking, but it is rooted and is grounded in what you have done on our behalf that it is grounded in the work of your Son, our Lord Jesus, who went to the cross and took our sin and is returning one day so that our hope would become glad fruition. So prayer will turn to sight and praise so that we will sing of your glory in your presence. We know that that day is coming, and so until it comes, we ask that you would give us hope and that you would help us to live as people of hope in the midst of a dry and weary land. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. I'll invite the ushers to come forward, and we'll take this morning's tithes and offerings.